and welcome back to the other 99% podcast, where we take a step back from the 1% marginal gains that society has become obsessed with and instead focus on the other 99%. Throughout this series, we will discuss all things related to self-actualization and becoming the best possible version of yourself. I'm your co-host, Tom Osmond, as always joined by George Cook. And today we are going to be talking about the relationship between volume and intensity. Back onto our training topic um, where we've just wrapped up our sleep series on the last episode. And as always, I'm super passionate about talking about training. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this topic today. Yeah, I like that you said we'd be talking about it. You're going to be talking and I'm going to be learning. <laughs> you can ask me questions and make sure I'm not talking rubbish. Yeah, I even put a shirt on today to make it look like I'm more important than I am. <laughs> I'm Paul Huberman. He wears a black shirt, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I'm not quite that level. No, I think we'll get there though. Yeah, why not? Not to this level, I mean the black shirt. <laughs> You're wearing a black shirt. Yeah, it's not a shirt, is it? It's a <laughs> t-shirt. Um, um, how's your week been? Yeah, good. Had a good week. Um, weather's been like pretty good, so managed to get out and do my first 10k run since I hurt my heel, my knee my back just about everything started breaking down at one point in february so um longest run since then which was great uh felt really good the whole way around so that's kind of been a bit of a highlight for me really no one told you running is bad for your knees no, especially at my size as well <laughs> someone told me that the other day to be there yeah um, yeah it's been good i've been um yeah i've been keeping busy i did a 16 hour round trip on thursday um, yeah, that was the, the in fact, it was actually it was longer than that. It was 16 hours of driving. Um, so I left, I left home at seven o'clock and got back at half past twelve. And I picked up some stuff for the garage gym. So I got a Smith machine, a hack squat, a leg curl, and a leg extension. For those of the listeners that are not watching this, imagine a little toddler on Christmas Day, and that's how happy your face is right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm buzzing with it. I've got, I'm picking up some dumbbells next, not this weekend, the one after, and then that's all I'm going to spend on it. Because I've just come from training um, in a pure gym in Manchester, and the session should have taken me an hour, and I was in there for an hour and 45, I reckon. Yeah. At one point, I just sat down on the floor for 20 minutes, waiting for kit. <laughs> just <laughs> had a little sulk. It's so <laughs> frustrating. Say, same toddler, just having a tantrum. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to when I train I like to just be focused not have to wait for kit not like I'm a bit particular about my training sessions it's probably the one area of my life I'm a bit OCD just the one area yeah everything else I'm messy yeah (laughs) interesting we're getting sidetracked already but there's a book called The Values Factor by uh his name will come to me in a minute yeah no it's called The Values Factor Demartini someone Demartini Dr Demartini yeah, I can't remember his I'm first name. Sure, his name isn't Doctor, but yeah, <laughs> I think that's his middle name, isn't it? Um, and he's he talks about to understand, or one of the questions he'll ask people to understand your values is to see where you've got the most order in your life. Okay. And my training program is down to the T, so <laughs> every, everything else is a complete mess. It's um, it's John D. Martini. I just looked it up. John D. Martini. Yeah, really one of my favourite books on values because I think most people really overcomplicate the matter and try and go really really deep whereas he's got some really practical questions to help you figure out what you do value i haven't done it yet but he's got a website as well if you type in dr john d martini values you can do a free 
like values questionnaire, which I, I should probably do yeah. this week, actually. I'll talk about it yeah, in the next episode. It's um, probably the list of questions in his book. I reckon the problem with these things is, and it's like personality quizzes, isn't it? Do you answer them with a certain bias? Yeah, a really interesting question I had the other day was, is there a difference between being in love and believing that you're in love? So it's like the the things you tell yourself that whether you actually believe in or not, and everyone tells themselves lies to try and convince yourself or another person that what you're saying is true. If you switch that round and said, is there a difference between believing you're rich and being rich? Yeah. I guess it's just how you quantify it, right? Yeah, one's more objective, isn't it? Yeah, so it's personal to ask deep that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that is deep. Um, anyway, should we talk about training now? Because yeah, I don't actually know what I'm talking about then. <laughs> You're not an expert on love. No, you would think so, wouldn't you? You would, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about volume and intensity. And I feel like a good starting point is defining what they both mean. And I'm actually going to start with intensity because most people infuse intensity with effort. So they might try really, really hard, but that doesn't mean it's intense. In, so how do you do? How do you make that distinction then? In, by, by definition, okay. and it's it obviously depends on the modality of exercise. So intensity when you're in the gym is really, really easy to define. It's just um, percentage of your one rep max. So if you can squat 100 kilograms and you're doing a set at 70 kilograms, that's 70% intensity, 70% of your one rep max. So that, that's quite an easy one. And in reference to hypertrophy anyway, um, a better marker of intensity is just what, what's called reps and reserve or RPE, which is on a scale of one to 10. We'll actually come back to this in a bit more detail when we talk about um, cardiovascular training. But for, for the purpose of lifting weights, it's a scale of one to 10. And if it's a 10 out of 10, it means you couldn't have done another rep. If it's nine out of 10, you could have done one more rep or that's one RIR. And for hypertrophy, really, you want to be at a seven or above for every set you do. Whereas for strength training, because as we've spoken about this before, there's a big skill element. So you can actually stay a little bit further away from failure and accumulate more sets at probably five and above RPE is what I would consider uh, valuable or working sets. So just to, to make the distinction so five rpe different to a 50 percent intensity yeah so if you are you could do 50 percent intensity but go to a one or two rir yeah and that would be useful for a hypertrophy standpoint but not as useful from a strength standpoint right but but in, in intensity in the gym just think about percentage of one rm and then the reps and reserve is um, more useful to determine what's, when we come on to talking about volume, what's useful volume over a working set. In terms of calculating 1RM, because I think yeah. this is quite an interesting topic, so I don't want to take away from uh, the main message. But if you're looking to calculate your 1RM, if you're quite new to the gym and you're wanting to work out your training intensities, I, I have yeah. my answer for this and I reckon it's the same as yours, but we wouldn't be recommending one rep maxes to people who are relatively new to the gym because the skill element is not there to support that kind of lift. No, unless it was, unless you'd removed a lot of degrees of freedom, um, something like a leg press or, yeah. And if it's going to be safe then, but yeah, I wouldn't, um, 
we spoke about this before as well, but when you've got a novice trainee compared to an intermediate compared to an advanced, the amount of stress or the stimulus you need to impose on that person is much less. So those rough guidelines I gave before of being above a 5 RPE or a 7 RPE for hypertrophy, for a novice trainee, that's just not the case. Because um, largely what you're doing is just learning the coordination of the movement, and that's the main changes you get early on in your training. Whereas when you start to train at higher intensities or closer to failure, then you're getting structural and neuromuscular changes. Yeah, bro. Um, but yeah, like if new to the gym, I wouldn't. It's useful to understand these concepts because you, you're gonna. It's gonna be useful when you become an intermediate or advanced trainee. But novices can literally just add weight to the bar each time they come in the gym, and you'll be you'll be good to go. Yeah, fantastic. So that that's intensity in terms of resistance training or strength training. And I was just talking to you about this before we started recording, but I was listening to this podcast. Um, on my drive back up to Manchester yesterday and there's so much confusion around endurance training and intensity so yeah I was listening to this guy on Chris Williams is it Chris Williamson modern wisdom but he had this guy on talking about intensity and he was saying that high intensity is just a 20 or less than 20 second sprint which is not the case when it comes to endurance training I, I think and this is a big assumption I don't know but I think he's getting confused about energy systems and what he's got in his head is the ATP PC system, which is actually two systems. You've got ATP and um, PC, PC. So ATP is adenosine triphosphate. PC is phosphocreatine or creatine phosphate, CP or PC, whichever way. I don't know why there's two two way rounds of doing that. It's the same thing. Yeah. And ATP is stored in the muscle. So you break down ATP to ADP. This is probably a bit too much detail, but I, I feel like some people might be interested. So you've got adenosine triphosphate, so you've got three phosphates. You break that down and you're left with ADP, which is adenosine diphosphate. So you've got two phosphates. You need to reattach that third phosphate to then be able to continue producing energy. And PC is also stored in the muscle, so you can use PC to resynthesize or reattach that third phosphate to make ATP again, and then you can generate more energy so that that's that system and it only lasts for about 10 to 20 seconds i might have that slightly wrong but it's a very short amount of time um so you've got that system then you've got your glycolytic system and your aerobic system or glycolytics also refers to as anaerobic which is just reattaching that third atp or sorry reattaching that third phosphate to create atp without oxygen and aerobic is with oxygen and without oxygen you can sustain a higher rate but it's not sustainable does that make sense so you can have greater outputs in terms of like wattage or power but you won't be able to sustain it for a very long time whereas aerobic you can sustain it for a very long time i feel like it's almost like a, a fighter jet you know those ones that you can refuel in the air and if you think of the the atp pc system as a fighter jet flying at 500 miles an hour or however quickly they go and it can't be refueled and when the fuel's gone it stops Whereas yeah. when you work at a lower intensity, you go slower, maybe yeah. three or four hundred miles an hour, but you can refuel while you're in the air and you can keep yeah. going for a longer period of time. Yeah, that's a much better way of conceptualizing it. Um, thinking about the rate of energy production. So yeah. it's a really, really high rate, it's not sustainable. Um, and another way of thinking about it is a marathon runner versus a hundred meter sprinter. If you think about the speeds that they can um, maintain. So 
Kipchoge 250 per kilometre. I don't know what that is metres per second, do you? No, I can work it out. Yeah, work it out quickly. And then you've got Usain Bolt, which obviously his average velocity is just over 10 metres per second for the 100 metres, because obviously it's sub 10 seconds. And that's, so you've got 10 seconds at 10 metres per second versus two hours at... 6.6 metres per second. 6.6 metres per second. And that is what this whole podcast is about, is the relationship between volume and intensity. So on one hand, you've got 100 metres at 10 metres per second, and down the other end of that um, continuum, you've got two hours or 26 miles at 6.6 metres per second. So that that is the relationship between volume and intensity. You can't have high volume, high intensity. I, used to, I remember seeing some advert for this training program years ago and it was talking about flipping physiology and they've made a program that's high volume and high intensity it's just not possible oh, you can't run a marathon at 10 meters per second i mean i could write a program that does that it just doesn't mean anyone could do it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the program exists it's just impossible to complete <laughs> yeah but that, and that um and i've probably changed my mind a little bit on this because there was a load of research that came out about volume and hypertrophy with more volume leading to greater gains in muscle mass yeah. um, but I just don't agree with agree with that research at the moment just because that's the level of fatigue that we've touched on before isn't it there's more global fatigue if you're lifting for a longer period of time longer sets more volume yeah and when you look at hypertrophy in particular the well the only thing we know the only mechanism we know um increases muscle protein synthesis, which is correlated to muscle mass over long term, is mechanical tension. So if you're not getting uh, a lot of mechanical tension per set, then it's junk volume or what people call junk volume. You're not getting any more stimulus or any further increases in muscle protein synthesis for each set that you do. So to give an example, um, you get about 80% of increases in muscle protein synthesis from one set to failure. Okay. And then if you think about diminishing returns, every further set is is additive, but you're not gonna get double the gains from doing two versus one set. You actually get most of your gains from doing one set to failure. That'd be a think, session, wouldn't it? Yeah, I've, I've been tempted to try it, but I think I enjoy training too much to just do one set and then leave. And then obviously leave. You could do, do like three <laughs> or four exercises. Um, but there was this guy called, I'm so bad at remembering names, aren't I? He created this system called dog crap training or DC training. Okay. And it was essentially that it was one set, two failure um, for each exercise. Okay. And that system produced some of the best bodybuilders in the world. So it's, it's definitely effective. And when you contrast that to some of the evidence that's come out recently with 20 sets, the, the evidence-based guidelines are six to 20 sets per week. Yeah. I actually think better guidelines are six to 15. And where you typically start lower volume for novices, then go to moderate volume for intermediates and higher volume for advanced trainees, I think it actually has to come back down for advanced okay. trainees. Lower so, Yeah, because if you think about it, what we spoke about with junk volume, advanced trainees are capable of such high outputs they can put themselves into a really deep hole yeah and then they can't get the same stimulus from those subsequent sets because they don't recover 
Yeah, because they've gone too hard. So, yeah. And in terms of per session, we spoke about one set giving you about 80% of those increases in muscle protein synthesis. They think it caps out at about six sets per muscle group. So thinking two two sessions per movement type or or body part per week to get that sort of 12 sets of training. Yeah, yeah. So that, that would be um, towards the higher end of the top of what I believe the best current volume recommendations are. Yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't go as high as 20 sets um, at the moment. Whereas in the past, I think I've gone up to 28 sets. Is that, um, so when you say 28 sets, you're thinking 28 squat sets of let's take a squat, or yeah. you're thinking 28 sets, including a squat, a leg press, a leg extension, a hamstring curl. Yeah, yeah. So any exercise that targets that muscle group. Yeah. Um, and there's loads of evidence to support this as well, but when you're just trying to increase muscle mass, you're actually better off picking a variety of exercises instead of just doing all of those sets um, with that one movement pattern. Really interestingly, though, if if I asked you what would be more effective for making your squat stronger, doing, say we had four exercises and you did yeah. five sets on each, or you just did 20 sets of squats, what do you think would be better for increasing your squat? Doing the different exercises. Yeah, but I wouldn't have said that previously. <laughs> yeah, but I'm smarter than you. Yeah, but, what, but I would have a really good rationale for why I think just doing 20 sets of squats would be better. I just think that variation in general tends to have more benefit i think i would probably say that from an endurance point of view where and i know this is going to wind you up because you completely disagree uh, where you can get better at running by incorporating cycling or rowing or swimming or something like that into your training so i'm looking at um variation from from that perspective i suppose yeah it's like blocked versus varied practice or the concept of differential learning where you become more competent at a certain movement from having more variety um, in, in what you do. Um, yeah, the, the cross-training thing with endurance, I'm still not convinced. I'm not saying it works indefinitely, but just no. to a point. But do, do you know what I have come around to is there's so much anecdotal evidence for it. Yeah, I mean... Um, I in, my, in my experience, we do this in rehabs a lot at work, where someone will get injured, they can't run, so we'll put them on the bike. And I think if you do it well, it can be beneficial. We've spoken about the differences between central, which is basically heart and lungs versus peripheral, which is the muscle group you're working. Um, and where we might have more confidence that it's giving you a benefit in terms of central adaptation is for getting into the right heart rate zone. Yeah. Um, but from my experience using the bike, people just can't reach the same heart rates that they could from running. Because they don't have the peripheral ability. Yeah, so you'd have to do like yeah. a really good chunk of it before they start to get essential adaptations, I think. Yeah. Um, interestingly, though, what I've started to play around with is doing almost like Metcons, you know, like what they do in CrossFit. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, like circuits of multiple exercises and you're going um, like AMRAP for time or each minute on the minute, that kind of stuff. And yeah. you can get some good heart rate responses out of that. Okay. Um, I've forgotten what we're talking about now. Volume and intensity. Yes. What were we talking about before we got into that? Uh, you were talking about um, how many sets you should do in a week. Yeah. So yeah, my my um, what I think is current best practice is complete novice start at the lower end, maybe six to eight sets per week, 
progress up through intermediate to late intermediate stages, maybe up to 15, 16 sets. And as you get really advanced, I think I would start to come back down. And um, in my current program, I'm doing about 12 sets per week. Okay. And it's really, really hard for me to only do 12 sets per week. And they're but, 12 high intensity sets, aren't they? They're the 12 hard sets. That doesn't include warm up or anything like that. Yeah, so I do um, my first three exercises. I do four working sets of each one. Yeah. My first three sets of each exercise are two reps in reserve. And then my last set's to failure. And then I get a predicted one rep max off of that to adjust my percentages the following week. Yeah. And I'm essentially wave loading over seven week blocks. Yeah. If you're interested, I'll, I'll put a link actually to the program I've created if anyone else wants to have a go at it. I might have a go at it. Yeah. It's, it's five days a week, four exercises per session. Um, and yeah, purely designed to increase muscle mass. And if you go to pure gym, it'll take an hour and 45, including strong. Yeah. No, I'm still not over that yet. It's too soon. <laughs> um, and so that's volume in the gym. Pro, do you know what's interesting is I've seen a lot more stuff coming out recently where people are going back to counting number of reps instead of number of working sets. Okay. Why? Because, and I kind of agree with this, so I can understand the rationale, but I don't think it's very practical and yep. um, think about doing five sets of three versus five sets of 15 yeah it's a very very different stimulus very very different stimulus um because well going going back to that mechanical tension concept we know that's the main mechanism but it's not the only thing because otherwise the best way to get big would just be going into the gym and doing a one round max each time yeah so that there is this metabolic component to it um, but metabolic stress still isn't understood very well. Um, but I think it's the case of the metabolic stress that's accumulating is increasing mechanical tension because it's hard to separate the two. Um, so, yeah, that, that's why they're going back to counting reps to get an idea of the, the metabolic stimulus and the uh, mechanical tension at the same time. OK. And the, the general guidelines for that off the top of my head, I think we're about 60 reps. Yeah, that makes sense because it's about six working sets. So the 60th rep kind of mark. Yeah, um, and those reps are each step still finishing close to failure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because you could do 15 body weight squats and that might be not even warming you up. Yeah, yeah. And I still think the sweet spot is kind of 8 to 12 because... Yeah. Again, Brad Schoenfeld's group showed this. Uh, it doesn't matter what the intensity is by hypertrophy as long as you're getting close enough to failure. But from, a, again, a practicality point of view, it's a sweet spot in terms of like not having to warm up for ages to lift really heavy weights, but a set not taking ages and giving you tons of fatigue without um, giving you loads of stimulus to that tissue that you're trying to target. Because then you have to recover for so much longer as well if you go into that level. Yeah, yeah. And you're you're probably more likely to be limited by something other than the force generating cap- capability of that certain tissue that you're trying to target. Yeah, particularly so say, like free movements like squats or bench or something like when your form starts to go. Yeah. Like a, a technical issue relating to fatigue as opposed to muscle fatigue. Yeah. And again, this is kind of related to exercise selection, not so much volume intensity. But if you think about doing um, a set of 12 reps on a squat to failure, as you start to fatigue through that set and get closer and closer to failure, we know that people are going to start to lean over more, 
distribute the force more between their hips and their knees instead of just keeping it focused on the quads. Whereas something like a leg extension and a hack squat, you can't do that. So they're going to be much better exercises for targeting that tissue. Yeah, love it. Makes sense. Um, and then volume in, ten, in terms of endurance training. I think this is almost like more simple for me. It's just how much you're doing. So if we take running or swimming, um, really common to just count like the number of kilometers you complete a week or the total time. Um, they'd be the two main ones for calculating volume. Yeah. And then going back to what intensity, what we're talking about with energy systems. For me, the simplest way to do it is you've got three zones of training. So if you imagine the first zone, so what, what we're trying to understand is at what point are the predominant, at what point um, along that intensity of low intensity to high intense intensity, so if you think of walking to sprinting, we're trying to understand which energy system is contributing to the most ATP resynthesis at that intensity. So zone one is predominantly aerobic, like you spoke about with the fighter jet going slower. We can keep going for a really, really long time because the rate of ATP resynthesis is much lower. So that's predominantly aerobic or our zone one. Zone two is a bit of a mixture between aerobic and anaerobic. Um, so that would be, for most people, uh, I'm trying to think what kind of intensity that would be. You're probably looking at something like a five or 10K. Yeah. And then zone three is predominantly anaerobic which is a glycolytic energy system so for, for endurance training they're, they're the three main zones and then obviously you can keep going up in intensity and that's where we start to predominantly work um well at really really high intensity is that atp pc system um but yeah obviously most of the energy production around that kind of like five minute mark is um glycolytic which is um again without oxygen yeah, some people also call that, there's so much terminology which really doesn't help things, so people also call that the lactic system. Yeah, which relates to the lactate threshold, which is where we spoke before we came on here that was annoying you that high intensity isn't just sprinting, high intensity yeah. is anything above that lactate threshold, isn't it, or the second one, but yes. Yeah, and th yeah, th this guy that was talking about it, Thomas Delauer, um, he, I don't think and I don't know this is just a strength and hypertrophy podcast, whereas I'm sure if I listen to more endurance training podcasts, they'd have a much better understanding of this. Yeah. But for most people, if they want to get the most out of their training, I wouldn't be sprinting them because yeah. most people exercise for the health benefits, right? And most of the health benefits come from having a really high VO2 max. So if I was working with someone and they were doing a couple of cardio sessions per week, I'd be in zone three personally. Yeah, um, trying to maximise that time at VO2 max because that's going to uh, lead to the, the most beneficial health outcomes for that person. Yeah, I think still with all the data that we've got, I think the top three are still um, VO2 max, hang like grip strength and hip to waist ratio, I think are the three biggest ones on there. Yeah, yeah. So what you're basically looking at there is reducing adipose tissue or fat mass, increasing VO2 max and then the other one with that, the, the strength research is really interesting because my bias is cross-sectional area is the biggest predictor of force output. Yeah. Provided so you have nice. neural qualities yeah. to go alongside it. So for me, if I'm trying to create a really streamlined conditioning program um, for general population, 
I'm going to work on the VO2 max and I'm going to try and increase muscle mass. Yeah. And fair. then whatever nutritional interventions you need to put in place to reduce excess fat mass. Yeah. And to facilitate the recovery of that training as well. Yeah. So they, they'd be, um, yeah, my three key, my three key ones. Yeah, nice. So yeah, that, that's basically the relationship between volume and intensity. I thought now it would be good to go into how to set up your training program a bit more or yeah. un- understand uh, maybe how to define those thresholds for you and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree, because when, when people get to the gym, um, I think you're offered this induction with a, a trainer at the gym and it's invariably just them walking around being like, so we've got this piece of equipment, this is how you use it. And yeah. Uh, off you go <laughs> yeah 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 so we should we start with the resistance training again yeah go for it so yeah like we said in terms of volume you're looking at between six and 15 sets per week and we could probably go through different examples for each trainee um so novice just starting out in the gym depending on if they're going to go two or three times a week my my preference would be higher frequency and less volume per session. Yeah. So for me, I would start with each muscle group or movement pattern three times per week, but just two sets to start with. And I think with that, you're going to see, if you imagine you're trying to picture stress recovery adaptation, is that curve, if you imagine that stress from two sets is going to be lower than three or four sets, the recovery will be quicker, so it can have that higher frequency. Yeah. So yeah, for a novice, for me, two two sets again i'm going to be focusing mainly on that eight to twelve rep range above a seven rp each set and hitting that three times per week so it might be say we take the lower body so our main muscle groups are glutes quads hammies i might go for glutes um a hip thrust uh, like leg press with your feet up high or single leg press would be probably better and split squat on the third day so two sets of each of those yeah. seven or above rpe for quads i might go leg extension um leg press and any other quad movement like a goblet squat they might be my three quad movements again two sets close to failure each each time and then we could go rdl hammy curls um well one seated hamstring curl one lying hamstring curl so that that's your lower body ticked off and if honestly if people just did that for six months from never have stepped in the gym before i think they'd be shocked at the results they got after six months or so i think actually the consistency is so important because even if you've been going to the gym for a long period of time you probably haven't been as consistent as you think with what you're actually doing in there yeah there's an element of just turning up and doing a session feel like you've worked hard and don't get me wrong like huge benefits to that particularly mental health wise but that you're not going to see the the performance benefit i suppose yeah and that's also i struggle with this myself in in a big commercial gym where they've got tons of machines i really like novelty <laughs> so <laughs> they get, yeah they get a new bit of kit and i'm like oh, i want to have a go on that and i just end up wasting time um so yeah going back to like how it's interesting how your opinion changes on stuff over time because i've gone from probably quite a balanced i think i started off at a balanced perspective where i'd maybe do like an upper lower split 
or legs push pull or like all those classic splits yeah then i got really into high frequency which led to high volume and now i'm like coming back to a more balanced point of view i think um yeah i think it's it's time constraint as well like for me at the moment every session needs to be full body because yeah. i can only get there three times a week so which is plenty good. for almost everyone yeah absolutely and that's what we're targeting this at the other 99 percent if you can you can still hit these these loads and these volumes on three sessions you might need to think about recovery and what you're eating and etc um but you're still going to get that response right yeah for sure so if, if you imagine you're training three times three times a week i covered the lower body but a, a full session might look like you go and do a seated chest press um seated row lateral raises so that's shoulders chest back ticked off yeah. and then any of those examples of the lower body sessions i gave earlier so you, you might go those three exercises then a leg press a hip thrust and a seated leg curl so you've got six exercises two per exercise so you've got 12 sets for the session yeah. imagine you're resting for three minutes in between each one that is 36 minutes 36 minutes obviously like time to go in between and that kind of stuff but yeah, for someone that's a novice, um, three 45-minute sessions per week, and I think they'll see really um, sustainable long-term gains for at least the first year of training, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And even beyond as well, we have sort of touched on that before, haven't we, about that intermediate level and still progressing almost week on week. Yeah. And then in, in that example, so you've got six sets per muscle group to start with, maybe slightly more than that, because there'll be a bit of an overlap between like the leg press and the hip thrust. Um, obviously yeah. both are still going to work um, work glutes um, but that would be yeah six sets per week you could just say you plateau you could just add one set per exercise so your session will probably go up to an hour um, but you're now up to nine working sets per week um, for each each muscle group which is a really nice way to progress as you get into the more intermediate stages yeah bro um so that's just like actually for strength training uh i would go yeah a bit further from failure more sets on the key movements that you're trying to get stronger at that's your classic five fives six threes yeah so like one of the sets and rep schemes i really like is just alternating between five fives and five threes each week yeah um because when you're i feel like when you're training for hypertrophy, you're almost less attached to the weight because, yeah. and there's, we won't go into like the nuances of lifting tempo and that kind of stuff today, but in my experience, people that are training for strength get really emotionally attached to the weight they're lifting and they really want to progress each week. Um, so while the RPE doesn't have to be as high, I find people end up ten, tending to push it, if anything, harder. And they're normally more globally fatiguing exercises because no one cares how much you can lateral raise but everyone wants to be able to like squat a deadlift a lot and um, see so yeah, i find that they tend to generate more fatigue and obviously takes a lot longer um to do more more volume in the session yeah so yeah for, for general population it's cool and i get it for um like all of the other factors of the motivation of the weight of the bar going up each week and it's cool to be strong for some people um yeah. <laughs> but yeah for, for for most people i i don't think most people care about it that much 
compared to the res results they could get training the way I just described previously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is a, an emotional attachment and, and like you say, to those numbers. But actually, if you're just recording them for yourself and realise mm -hmm. it's not a comparison, I think that can help a lot as well, just from a mental perspective. Because it would be quite demoralising if you think you're working quite hard and somebody next to you puts, you know, warms up with your max lift. Like, yeah. That's a bit sad. Um, like, I've certainly felt that way before. But when you realise it just doesn't matter and you're doing your own thing, the benefits yeah. come. Yeah, and for me personally, again, I always go through waves. Like at the moment, I've gone back to bodybuilding pretty much. But the I've spent, if I think about the last, uh, how old am I now? Twenty eight. If I think about the last seven years of training, seven eight years of training since I used to do men's physique competitions, I'd say at least eighty percent of my time in the gym has been focused on strength training. Yeah, and I've never really done. Um, like a pure hypertrophy program since then but then the other thing to consider is we're mainly talking about novices here it gets really really hard to increase muscle mass after a few years so uh i'm probably not going to get any better any bigger than what i am now but I, I just tend to enjoy that style of training more yeah and and that's the other benefits that this this training gives us the size the strength but then there's everything else yeah yeah so that's yeah that's so that's volume ticked off for um resistance training yeah and we kind of we've kind of touched on intensity with that haven't we so if what i would suggest for most people is picking exercises where it's safe to fail and getting close to failure each set and you're going to progress really nicely um volume for cardiovascular training is almost more nuanced i think because the general guidelines here for most people to maximize health outcomes are trying to get 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity per week or 75 minutes of high intensity activity per week or any combination of both. So every minute of high intensity counts as two minutes to your total. Um, and that's just, in, just for health. Obviously for performance, it becomes uh, a little bit more complicated. That's what I should have said about, about previously you might not respond to those two sets per week. Most yeah. people will. Maybe 60, 70% of people will respond really well to that. 10 or 15% will respond unbelievably well. And 10 or 15% probably won't respond very well at all. Might even get worse. And we've seen this in research. So, if, but that's the benefit of starting really low volume because you can't go any lower because you'll basically not be training. Yeah. So if you do it for a few months and you're not seeing progress, then you can add a set straight away. You might still see no progress, add another set and just start to titrate your volume up. Uh, make sure you're doing all the other stuff that might stop you progressing, like sleeping well, eating a good diet, those kind of things. And that's what I was going to say with the cardiovascular training. For performance, um, you're, you're trying to understand dose response a little bit more. And um, there's a really clear link between volume and performance for endurance sports. So you're probably going to be looking at trying to accumulate some quite high volumes um, if you are looking to perform really well. So if I give you an example of running most middle distance runners, so around the 5k sort of mark at the elite level, will cover anywhere between 100 to 140 kilometers per week, which is a lot of running. It's completely unsustainable for everybody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, if we, if we give some examples of, again, what I think Maybe I'm just really biased by my own views here. 
but I'm mainly interested in just being healthy and that's what I do cardio exercise for so how I'm getting those 150 minutes per week at the moment is I do a park run each Saturday which takes me about 23 24 minutes don't lie 2250 is my PV got that three <laughs> weeks ago and that's all high intensity for me my heart rate's through the roof so that's um 45 uh, just under 50 minutes for my total yeah so that's the first straight away and then i'll typically do the rest low intensity or i might do one low intensity say a 60 minute run which will get me to 110 then i might go and do another 20 minutes of interval training something like 10 lots of two minutes with a minute off in between and that gets me my 150 for the week that's kind of what i've been doing for the last four weeks or so yeah i think the the interval training is a really nice way of doing it because for me i like to feel like i've done something in a session I don't yeah. always love the low intensity stuff because I walk away and you should walk away from feeling like you could have done more. That's the whole point of it. But yeah. I, I like to feel like I've worked hard. So actually doing those interval sessions and accumulating those higher intensity minutes can be quite a nice way to just make you feel good as well. Like really sweat out um, any frustration. I know that isn't how it works, but it, that's kind of an expression that's being coined and, and I quite like it and find it yeah. you know, quite good for me personally. Yeah, we're giving unbelievable coping strategies here. Yeah. <laughs> Just go and kill yourself on the treadmill and you'll, you'll actually get rid of all your problems. Financial worries? No problem. Just interval, <laughs> interval your way to success. Um, for me, again, I've gone through different phases of this because originally I was like, I mainly want to get bigger and stronger. And the more volume you do of cardiovascular training, the more likely you are to experience the interference effect, which again, we've spoken about previously, so you can go back and check check that episode out. Um, can you remember which one it was? I can't actually, but I do remember you saying you didn't believe in it. Yeah, probably changed my mind on that again. <laughs> Strong <laughs> so, views held loosely. But I, I really enjoy experimenting with training programmes because there's all these um, theoretical guidelines, but until you go and weigh and play with it, you don't really know what's going to work for you because everyone does yeah. respond differently. But and again, I think this is really common. And there's uh, another author who's been writing a lot about this recently, which in the short term, high intensity training always outperforms low intensity training. But when you look at longer term, high intensity training, people don't sustain it for as long as low intensity. So where I've got to on this is I think one high intensity session per week and one low intensity session per week. I'm oh, sorry, it'll probably end up being two low intensity sessions per week unless you do like a really long session um, to hit that 150 minutes per week. Yeah. So it might be your park run and then two 50 minute runs. Yes. Yeah, oh, sorry, it doesn't have, doesn't have to be running any form of yeah. cardiovascular training. I actually find personally, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only person um in in this position that quite a heavy guy and therefore running my heart rate is is quite high intensity so it's also relative for the activity that you're doing like a low intensity heart rate for me running is probably 165 170 as sustainable for swimming it's 120 yeah it's very very different in terms of the muscles you're using the impact you're putting through the body so it one might feel very different to the other but they can both be classified that way yeah, that's a good point, actually, because what we haven't discussed yet is how you can understand what zone you're in. Yeah. So 
and there's tons of ways to do this i think the two most practical ways for most people is if you've got the kit having a heart rate monitor and then if you do a, a hard interval session um something like four minutes on two minutes off or just keep repeating intervals another really good way to do it is if you go into the gym and put the treadmill on a decent incline and then start at a jogging speed and just slowly increase your speed every 30 seconds or so until you can't sustain it any longer and you'll probably figure out what your max heart rate is heart yeah. rate is that way make sure you do a decent warm-up before that um what that does is turns on your oxygen kinetics so you're delivering more oxygen to your working muscles so you can normally reach higher heart rates if you do a good warm-up beforehand yeah um once you've got that you can just use a percentage so um zone three is typically above 80 percent of your heart rate max uh i'm oh, sorry 85 percent. i'm gonna have to double check this i'm gonna go with 85 yeah and then i th- i think the zone i'm gonna double check this i don't do you want to double check and i'll carry on talking yeah <laughs> i don't want to give wrong information but yeah once you know what your max heart rate is you can work out the percentages for each different zone there which we'll tell you about in a second and my preferred way to do that as well is you can use percentage of heart rate reserve instead of percentage of your heart rate max so my max heart rate is 188 my resting heart rates are uh, 46 so you minus your resting heart rate from your max heart rate and then take the percentage of that and the apps like garmin will do all this for you you can just put in your resting heart rate and your max heart rate and it'll work out what your different training zones are um and for me that's a much more accurate way to get my training zones compared to just using percentage of heart rate max because my resting heart rate is a little bit lower and then so that's the first way to do it with a requires a bit of technology and equipment the most easy practical way that anyone can use is the talking test so if you can talk to someone while you're doing your training session it's very likely you'll be in um, zone one or aerobic energy system another good way of knowing that you're in that zone as well is if you can breathe through your nose then if you can get a few sentences out but it's a bit harder you're probably in zone two and if you can get like a word or two out or you can't talk then you'll be in zone three yeah yeah i like that the um the way that it's split down for polar so those that don't know polar they're one of the leading um heart rate and watch um tech companies so they've got five zones they've used the 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 classic five but so yeah so five zones that's another good point as well so if there's a five zone model which is probably the most common zones one and two on the free zone model are just zone one yeah zone three is zone two and then zones four and five are zone three the five zone model is not actually based on anything scientific because physiologically we've only got those two thresholds yeah lactate turn point one lactate turn point two which also lines up with ventilatory threshold one and two as well which is your breathing rate so they're the only physiological zones we have um but yeah it's typically broken into those five zones because there is quite a range of intensities within those zones so it was 80 percent was what we were looking for was where we get into that top zone was yeah 80 and above so oh, when exactly. i said when i said 85 i meant 80. is, is 85 and above zone four or is that 90 that's 90 uh, isn't it 90 yeah zone five on that yeah garmin's the same as that because it just goes 90 80 70 60. yeah um if, if you really want to get it exact um look up a guy called steven seiler and his lab's done a load of work on this um i think it's 92 86 78 and 70 are the percentages that they use 
yeah. which they found off their research is is more accurate again though i think probably the most important thing is you're just getting out there and doing it whether you're at 80 or 86 percent for most yeah. people is going to be largely irrelevant um just as long as you're either working hard or you're not based on the talk test i think it's just such a simple way such an effective way to manage that yeah this was actually something else i wanted to talk about today because there's i don't know if you follow any of these pages but there's there's this real trend online for biomechanics and optimizing exercises which can play a part for advanced trainees anyway because if you're really trying to bring up a certain body part but for most people just focus on the volume intensity cover each major muscle group do your cardiovascular training and you'll be you'll be good to go yeah listen to this podcast and avoid instagram basically yeah don't i don't think what good the only training podcasts that i listen to that i believe in are stronger by science which is greg knuckles there's um the marathon, that's actually about it the marathon podcast is that what they're called i don't actually follow any endurance ones yeah they're really good i think it's called the marathon podcast but there's just so much nonsense in the fitness world that mo most podcasts or you, you'll get people that know a lot about diet and not so much about training or vice versa Yeah, there's a few actually out here. I've just typed in the marathon one and marathon talk. That's one I quite like. Um, yeah, there's so many, so, so many. I mean, the high performance podcast, again, is quite good. Um, they don't really talk about training all that, though, do they? They don't talk about training necessarily. They talk about lots of different elements, um, which we like to touch on here as well, because there are so many benefits you can get from exercise. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to touch on? No, I think we've covered it there. Volume intensity, how you put together a training program. Yeah. Look, look forward to hearing anyone's results if you want to share them. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do in the week, actually. I might put up like an example weekly program. Stick on the Instagram. Yeah, it could be. Happy 99%. Yeah, I'll do an example program. Um, I've got the day off on Thursday. So when are we releasing this on Friday again? Uh, Thursday, 5 a.m. But yeah, 5 a.m. That's early. Yeah. What I'll do that day. <laughs> Um, a little bit later on, I'm not going to get up at 5am to do it. Um, I'll put an example, I'll probably do it as a six-day-a-week training programme, but obviously three of those will be cardio sessions, which can be running or on the bike or whatever, yeah. and then three in the gym to give an example of how you can construct that programme. Um, I'll do it for a beginner. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I look forward to seeing that. I've said I'll do it on the podcast now, so I've got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if we held you to everything you said you were going to do on this podcast. Yeah. If you're running a five minute mile it, by now. Is, is joke, jokes aside, this is the last point I want to make today. Um, I'm really guilty of setting up unsustainable training programs. And I, I burn myself out very, very quickly. So if I think about just from January, the training programs I've started and not completed, I'm probably on my third or fourth one now. <laughs> With 10 years experience. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's, so what at the start of the year i was lifting five times a week and running four times a week which was not sustainable no um then i think i went super high volume wasn't sustainable and now i feel like i'm coming around to a balanced place where i'm going to try and sustain it for um at least six months hopefully and see yeah. see where i get to 
and that is lifting five times a week and trying to hit my 150 minutes of cardio a week which is good because you've you've made those errors come to the middle point and that's the one we're sharing with people so that's good yeah you make mistakes anything i've said previously about training just ignore yeah. that <laughs> in, in, in terms of the science i've spoken about is probably pretty decent but the training programs i started i wouldn't recommend anyone tries those um it was episode 45 actually was your interference effect and yeah so yeah go and check that out if you're interested in which you should be combining um resistance training with cardiovascular training yeah absolutely and then i haven't actually decided what the training topic is going to be for next week yet it's a surprise we could put it on instagram yeah i'm not obviously there's so much to talk about um i might talk about well, so we covered volume intensity. I might talk about frequency next week. Yeah, nice. And lifting tempo is always interesting. Maybe There's a also bit some really. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I might also go over exercise selection because that is interesting. And um, there's some work come out recently on stretch mediated hypertrophy. So there's been a few studies where they've just stretched people's calves and they've got much bigger. From stretching. Yeah, like I said earlier in the podcast, the main mechanism for hypertrophy yeah. is mechanical tension. Yeah, they so can get a lot of mechanical tension from stretching. Now that I'd be interested to. Yeah, and I've also I started this yesterday. I started doing loading stretching for my calves because my um, dorsiflexion range is pretty crap anyway. So I thought it'd be good to improve it, and I'm so sore today. <laughs> I did three lots of one minute just on my hack squat without any weight on it single leg like calf hold where it's put the weight of the carriage is pushing me down yeah super painful and it obviously creates quite a lot of muscle damage as well and i started with just three lots of one minute maybe too much to start with he's back yeah but yeah wait we won't go into that now we'll save that for next week yeah looking forward to it but i think i've also um i've been going over the tempo research again and again i'm not sure that the current guidelines stack up with what actually happens in practice but yeah we'll, we'll delve into that next week yeah it's a lot of people to look forward to yeah excellent as always thank you all for tuning in and listening to this one and join us again next week where we'll be going over those training topics look forward to it see you then